Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. Baby, baby. Welcome, everybody, to the B-side of my conversation this week with Steve Marr. We talked quite a bit about the impact of corporate restructuring and exactly what is the capitalist state. We debunked the states versus market uh, thesis. We talked about the role of the U.S. state in uh, sort of building, uh, you know, the modern capitalist global economy in a, in a lot of ways. And so for this B-side, we're going to get down into the nitty gritty of what the implications are on this corporate restructuring for our political present. And man, I, we were just talking off air. I want to get this on tape. You know, th- that was an intense episode, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was quite intense. It was one of, I mean, I got to say, I think it's going to be one of my favorites though, because I, we're, we're really building we're building kind of brick by brick a more complex argument as we go. We started with Raphael Kachaturian, the two-part state theory kind of series. Uh, last week, we had Leo Panich on talking about strategizing about how the difficulties and the constraints that, that states face, particularly when you try to govern a state from the radical left. And, you know, this week, we're getting, we're getting down into some serious, we're getting into the weeds. Yeah. Uh, but I like it. It was fun. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, uh, you know, I think I, I was gesturing toward during the previous segment and didn't quite um, say directly was that so, you know, the internal complexity of the state is so significant to understanding how all this works. Yeah, so, right, like, right. you see, you know, the Department of Commerce, you know, in, by 1911 is able to finally organize the Chamber of Commerce despite the opposition of capitalists who were puzzled as to why the state would want to talk to them in this kind of systematic, regular, institutional fashion. Um, you know, and, and even part of it, I mean, the, the people in the Department of Commerce were seeing that the lobbying efforts of capitalists were so unfocused and fragmented, and they weren't aware of their interests. So very concretely, one of the purposes behind organizing the uh, Chamber of Commerce, National Chamber of Commerce, was to coordinate lobbying efforts. So the role of, this, of, this, of the executive branch in actually organizing lobbying, corporate lobbying, this doesn't just take place randomly from civil society. This is coordinated through the executive branch to some extent. But then when you see in the 1970s, as the Treasury, and, and by the way, so part of the reason why the Department of Commerce wanted to organize the Chamber of Commerce was to give it additional leverage against the State Department, which was the kind of dominant node within the state uh, at that time. So intra-state uh, competition in Congress. This is the key. This is one of the key elements of it, exactly, is that the Department of Commerce was incentivized to organize this political block of corporate capital that became the Chamber of Commerce to support its own ascent within the hierarchy of state apparatuses against the State Department, which until that time had been the, the dominant node and had been responsible for a lot of the areas of policy that Department of Commerce wanted to overtake. So by organizing capital behind its agenda, the Department of Commerce also ensured lobbying support for its own budgets and its own priorities against competing nodes within the state. Similarly, in the 1970s, when you get to the the ascent of the Treasury and the Federal Reserve, the monetary apparatus, right, especially as the gold standard is withdrawn, those nodes become the key kind of policymaking centers within the state. 
you see those nodes start to organize similar kinds of capitalist, you know, business associations uh, behind their agenda, which is neoliberalism. And in that case, it was the business roundtable. So the business roundtable is all, it was the preeminent kind of capitalist lobbying, corporate lobbying entity throughout the 1970s and, and most of the 80s. Right, right. But this did not spontaneously emerge as, as a result of the self-organization of the capitalist class at the level of civil society. This was encouraged in its formation very actively and very strongly by both John Connolly and Arthur Burns, who recognized that they had to discard the old kind of tripartite mechanism for, for stabilization that went back to World War I, as I mentioned, and had to instead flexibilize and marketize these kind of institutions to the to, so that labor could be disciplined not through direct state limits on, on, on wage caps, but through market competition. Yeah. It wasn't a matter of, of the state surveilling, monitoring, and enforcing these arrangements. It was a matter of just relying on, on markets to automatically discipline labor because capital becomes more competitive. It can invest elsewhere. And workers in the United States are then forced to compete with workers elsewhere. To hear the rest of this B-side, go to www.patreon.com slash and subscribe for $5 a month. There are many more exclusive interviews available for members only, so join the Dead Pundit Society today.